Welcome, everyone. I am Patrick Lushwan, and I am your host of Faculty Stories Tell Me Your Why. In this podcast, I ask faculty to share what drives their work, what they do, what they do. This question not only gives context to the human stories that drive our mission, it also provides it life and purpose. In faculty affairs, our own why is to create an environment where every faculty member is seen in their whole identity, inundated with positive experiences throughout all stages of their career. This is why we shine a light on these extraordinary individuals. We complete each discussion by asking our guests for a piece of advice to share with the next generation of scholars. These unscripted conversations are as diverse and unique as each of the individuals, yet they have one thing in common, the passion that fuels the work of these educators, innovators, and public servants. Join me in following their stories. Well, Mary, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. And I look so much forward to our conversation. So we can start right away. And if you don't mind introducing yourself with your name, when you join OSU, and a little bit about your work, what it is that you do. Sure. Um, well, thank you so much, Dr. Lucheron. I'm really glad to be here. Um, I am, my name is Mary Rodriguez. I'm an associate professor of community leadership in the College of Food, Agriculture, and Environmental Sciences. I actually started at OSU in August of 2015. Um, it has been eight years now, which has gone by incredibly quick. Um, but in that time, I have really gotten to hone in a lot more on what I wanted to research. Um, the work that I do primarily is looking at how can we support marginalized communities? And that looks like a few different things in my with my area of expertise. Um, in a, a lot of my work here in the United States is with new American populations. I'm super interested to understand how to support their communities. Um, when they when folks come as immigrants or refugees to this country, how do they integrate into their communities and what helps them to succeed and be uh, productive members of our society? And so understanding household and community resilience, understanding food security, the role of women in those households, that's really what I love to focus on here in the U.S. But a lot of my research is also um internationally based. The work that I do internationally is, again, focused on food security. However, it takes a little bit of a different look here. Um, what I research in international settings um, is how can we support uh, subsistence farmers to increase their production for their household, make sure that their families are um, having access to safe and healthy foods. So again, I look at that at that resilience aspect, um, but I also look at uh, the adoption of new technologies and practices. So we have researchers that do an incredible amount of work with, um, with farmers developing new technologies, new practices that should be helping them, but they don't always have the end user in mind. And so my passion is making sure that the farmer's voices are heard in the development of those technologies and that we try and minimize the harm that we can that we can have on communities if we don't keep that person in mind. Um, that's also along that line, uplifting indigenous um, practices, making sure that women um, and their 
households are empowered throughout these these uh, interventions, I think is is um, extremely important. So that's a lot of what I do work-wise, research-wise. Um, but in teaching, one of the things that I teach or multiple uh, classes that I teach are really about how do you engage with others around you, either individually or in those communities. And so I love helping students to see um, how to engage with people across differences, how to dialogue, um, how to be able to agree to disagree um, respectfully, and also how to help their communities move forward um, during times where I feel like we're very polarized on a lot of different subjects. How can students really work through some of those conversations for the betterment of those of their communities? Um, so that's the teaching side of things. And of course, really, um, focusing on community-engaged scholarship, both community-engaged teaching and community-engaged uh, research is um, is kind of at the foundation of what I do. So always making sure students have the opportunities to engage with community members um, and, and practice some of those skills in a safe and um, empowering way throughout their education. Mary, thank you so much for sharing um, what you do. Uh, I can tell very quickly how passionate you're, you are about your work and how committed you are about, you know, the well-being of others, um, both the students and the communities with whom you engage. Um, of course, I looked at your CV and I saw that your journey is uh, quite fascinating. You worked for USAD early in your career and then you were in the Peace Corps before that. You even if I'm not mistaken, uh, developed a program for intern uh, study abroad or at least during your master's, um, which of course shows me how interested you are in connecting with others and bringing students to that experience. So of course, the question arises, what under, you know, is underneath uh, this, this interest? Why do you do the work you do? If you don't mind sharing, you know, how you came up to discovering this passion and, um, and what that means to you, this particular work. Sure. Um, this is actually a story that I love to share with students in particular, um, especially when they don't know exactly what they want to do. I think that we expect people to know exactly what they didn't want to do at 18, um, you know, maybe after a master's degree, maybe directly out of a PhD. But my journey has been one that has helped me to see there are different paths and different opportunities. And each time I have taken a new path, it's given me more opportunities. So um, I believe that in order to kind of tell you why I do what I do, if I can tell you a little bit about me and my personal um, story, Please. I think that, that would that would really help. Um, <clears throat> So I am the eldest daughter out of four children um, to a, uh, we're all first generation Americans. Um, my mother is from Colombia. My dad is from Nicaragua. Um, and when I was young, they would tell me be anything but a teacher, you know, <laughs> you know, teachers don't make that much money um, back in their countries and here in the U.S. That was their perception. But I developed a desire to teach others very young. Um, my mom would tell me stories that as soon as I would learn something, I would be eager to teach somebody else that same thing that I learned. Um, I would come home and, and share what I had learned in school with my younger siblings. Um, my sister who follows me is about six years younger than me. And so I always had the ability 
to engage with a captive audience with my younger siblings because I was so much older than them and really got to teach them a lot as I was growing up. Um, my first teaching, true teaching experience was teaching riding. I decided to learn how to ride horses here in Houston. And um, I thought to myself, you know, this is so much fun. I want to see if I can help teach others. And so I started to teach the the smaller kids that were just starting to ride about two or three years after I started. Um, and just really, I felt like I was felt like that was what I was meant to do somehow to teach others. Um, engaging with the little ones was so much fun and seeing them develop and learn. I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't know what kind of teacher. So when I went to Texas A&M, I did what most students do and just kind of explore and find their way to their degree program. And one day um, I came across in a seminar class the fact that you can be an agricultural teacher. You can teach agriculture in high school. I had no idea. I went to an inner city private high school in Houston. Um, and I had no idea that you could teach agriculture, but I had a passion for horses and animals and knowing where my food came from and exploring those topics. And of course, sharing them with my, my captive audience of my siblings. Um, and I decided I was going to be a high school agricultural educator. So I finished my degree program at Texas A&M, and that was my first degree. I was going to be a high school teacher. Opportunities came along, and I said yes to a master's degree. And I went to UF, where during that time, I got to go to Earth University, which is a sustainable agricultural university in Costa Rica. And there, I learned a different type of teaching. I was actually there coordinating study abroads, um, and I saw community education. For the first time, I really got to see working with communities, but you were still working kind of in that teaching realm, that community development and extension realm that I hadn't really spent a lot of time in. And so that propelled me to... Uh, explore a little bit more and go to the Peace Corps because what what better way to learn something than to throw yourself into it? Um, so I was an agroforestry volunteer in Sub-Saharan Africa in the country of Cameroon. I was in the North region where I learned French and then I learned a full, full day. I taught at an agricultural technical school. So I was actually teaching. Um, these were maybe like an agricultural certificate, if you will. So it wasn't university, but it was a technical school. And then this is also where I developed um, capacity building programming for women's groups. I found um, that women were honestly an incredibly important um, part of the household when it came to food security. I hadn't really studied food security up until this point, um, but seeing the the choices that they were making in the household about who ate what, um, what's a plant and why for their household, not, you know, for sale kind of production, but um, commercial production, but more about their household. Um, 
just, I just found an absolute passion to work with them when it came to food security and nutritional security. What were they feeding their families? And so I developed capacity building training for them and their groups so that they could work better together, leadership, communication, those types of soft skills, because I wasn't an agriculturalist, but I did have skills that I could um, help them with. So that time in the Peace Corps then it opened my eyes to the fact that I had still so much I wanted to learn so that the impact that I could make could be greater. Um, I went back to University of Florida where I wanted to do my PhD in agricultural extension and community development with a focus on gender, um, gender and development, making sure that I was always thinking about how to center the voices of the marginalized in the work that we did. And um, I was set on working for the FAO, uh, the Foreign Agricultural Service of the, of the United States, USAID. You know, I, I wanted to work in what we would call, I guess, the industry, right, of, of development. So I did an Africa Bureau internship uh, and worked in Ethiopia for several months for USAID there and saw an immense amount of work and an incredibly diverse portfolio of work that USAID was doing there in a Feed the Future country, working in food security with some of the most vulnerable people in the world. And it opened my eyes to, honestly, the, the difficulty that it that I would have wanting to do the, the community-based research that I do at the organizational level. And so, you know, I thought, well, maybe later on down the road, that could be something that I do. But right now, I don't want to lose my connection to the community. I want to still be in the community, sitting on the ground under a tree, listening to women's stories and, and trying to help them um, in any way that I could with the capacity that I had. So I came back home from Ethiopia and spoke to my advisor and he said, well, you know, Mary, you're still a teacher and you still have that immense passion to teach others. What if you focused on academia? What if academia was your home where you could do this research, this community engaged research, but teach others how to do this work or help others see their passion? That's my why. That is why I came back to the university. Um, that's why I get up every day and do what I do and strive to be as successful as possible here. Um, I love what I do. I'm extremely passionate about my research, but helping to develop new scholars, either as, as undergraduates, even, you know, masters and PhD, helping them to, to gather their tools, to be engaged citizens, um, to make a difference in their communities, to, um, be able to help them see how their passions can create change. That's why I do what I do here. I could have gone to industry and worked and I think made a difference in programs and things like that and, and have been a really good manager of a portfolio of development work. But this gives me an opportunity, I think, to be that drop in a lake that has ripples and those ripples might touch others in ways that I can't even anticipate. Um, and over the years, past students or um, different people that I've engaged with have sent me messages about 
something I said or something I did for them during their time um, as a student of mine or as a mentee. And I realized that I am I am making an impact, even as small as it might be individually. Um, but that's why I am an academic. That's why I am um, continuing to research and to teach in the areas that I'm passionate about. Wow. Thank you. I love it. I, you know, if, if anybody ever dreams of, uh, telling a story, <laughs> I would just ask them to listen to yours, uh, the way you weave all those experiences and the incremental changes that happen through those experiences and that allow you to, through this journey to find your, your why, which also speak to, um, to the experience that we have in developing our own path, that it doesn't necessarily need to come straight up, um, that you discovered. There's an image that you shared uh, with me, and I want to highlight it so it doesn't go un, you know, unseen or unheard, is you saying, I want to be sitting under a tree, speaking to women, making sure I can actually understand what it is that they need to make a difference. And to me, that's such an example of community-engaged uh, work in that it is about the individual, where they live, where they have the experience. So you're bringing, and it's a little bit also very much aligned to how I understand extension, right? You bring the experience the, um, and, and the work where the communities are which is really exciting to me to hear you speak about this and being successful in that space because universities are more and more trying to actually uh, formalize that work and recognize it uh, more and more as, you know, as part of the standards of excellence, not just work that is, you know, read and evaluated by just experts, but really work that also makes a difference in communities. And obviously you do a wonderful job in that space and how you just kind of weave all those images in your story also for me are a great example to demonstrate that the journey is is not linear it has lots of opportunities and pretty sure it wasn't easy every day uh but here you are and i really i feel very uh, privileged for you for us to actually hear your story so thank you so much for your generosity Absolutely. I think that sharing that story, sharing my story, um, I love sharing my path with students because they think that I must have known I wanted to be a professor my whole life. You know, you must have known that this was the area that you wanted to work in your whole life. Obviously, that's not true at all. It just kind of, you know, a door opened, another door opened, another door, and I just kept walking through it until I found a place that I wanted to be. And even here, I continue to walk through different types of doors to enhance my career. And I think that students hearing that will hopefully give them um, just a sense of peace that if you just walk through a door, it's just a set of opportunities on the other side. Um and they might be different. They might be more challenging, but 
it's not wrong um, to to have a path that's non-linear. And those who have linear paths, that's great too. Um, but that's certainly not been my experience. And I think sometimes it's scary for people um, to not have very linear paths. But I, I think, I personally think it brings a lot of spice to life. But I know change is very hard for a lot of people. <laughs> I would agree. Um, well, then, you know, it's perfect segue to my last question for you, and you may have already spoken somewhat to it, but um, it's very important for our conversations. I really would like all of our uh, interviewees to share one piece of advice that they would like to share with the next generation of scholars, those graduate students who are considering joining academia or not even knowing, eventually hearing those stories, realizing, wait a second, I could maybe do that. Postdocs, of course, and even early career uh, faculty who just joined academia and hopefully can benefit from your experience. What is the one thing you would like to share with that generation of talented individuals? Honestly, I have two, but they'll be brief. Um, I think the first thing is um, finding yourself a champion or a mentor that really, really supports your growth. Had it not been for an advisor that each time I went to him and said, you know, I think I'm going to do an Africa Bureau internship in the middle of my PhD. Um, And actually, he was my master's degree advisor as well. And when I told him, hey, I think I'm going to stay and live in Costa Rica for about eight months and I'm going to work for this university for a little while in the middle of my master's. And continuously saying, you know what, Mary, I think this is a great idea. It's going to challenge you in a different way. It's going to open up opportunities for you. I think you should do it. Um, And always helping me to reflect on those experiences, what they taught me, um, what challenges they brought up and how can I address them. That to me is invaluable. I find that... um, Some students don't have those experiences with their faculty mentors. So find somebody that can help you through that. If it's not your advisor, your direct advisor or supervisor, it can be another faculty member. It could be someone outside of faculty um, roles, but somebody who can guide you in that process and help kind of motivate and lift you when you need it. Um, I will say, though, that as a new faculty member at a university as large as Ohio State, I felt pretty lost at the beginning and finding myself a mentor, or in my case, a set of mentors, somebody who would help me on the tenure track process part of things. Another mentor who helped me as a Latina woman in this space because I had never had a a Latina professor, a woman Latina professor in my career. I had a colleague that I had worked with, but nobody who was really my professor um, from undergrad all the way through my PhD. And so I think, you know, having mentors that can help provide your support you support in these different areas, whether it's the personal support, the support of being an underrepresented minority in academia, the technical support that it takes to achieve tenure promotion, um, but making sure you have those champions behind you. And I think as it weaves through that as well is knowing your why and writing it down. And even if that why you don't know it at the very beginning, there's a reason you want to to study what you study um, or to make an impact with your work. So I would say 
think about that because the tenure track is really hard. Uh, article rejections, grant rejections, mean student evaluations, you know, frustrating colleagues. Um, oh my goodness, you name it. it. It's just a really tough road. Um, and reframing and really thinking, okay, how am I doing on achieving what I want to be achieving? And that to me helps you pick yourself up in those really hard times and continue forward because you've got a mission. You've got something that that gets you up every day. Um, and tenure track is not for the lighthearted. And so I think um I think it is certainly a good thing to have your mentors and and definitely know why you're here or why you want to be here. I really appreciate this. Here is something that, uh, first of all, thank you for speaking about mentorship. This is something that um, you may already know, but we are really focused in developing at OSU in a more systematic and organized formal way with a mentorship academy for faculty and creating uh, a much more uh, known pathways for training mentors and for training mentees to do exactly what you have done, meaning the, the thing that we call mentoring up and speaking with your mentors about the things you, you need, in particular, identifying the mentors that you need. Um, one of the things that I love about what you shared in your two examples is for me, something that actually was very clear on both of them is a sense of ownership. You own the fact that you need guidance and you own building those relationships. You're not waiting passively for these to happen. You're asking different people to help you in different areas and you own that relationship. And this is a very, very essential part of relationship building and mentoring building, particularly from mentoring up type of conversation. And the second one is you're on your own story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, finding the right mentors is a journey. You know, sometimes it feels like you're dating your mentors. You're trying to figure out how you fit and whether you guys fit for, um, you know, maybe the short term or maybe the long term. I've had mentors that I've said, okay, you know, thank you for getting me through this one thing. I'm going to maybe not not formal conversation, but um, finding who serves me at what time and, and that support. I will say, though, that um, one of the biggest reasons that those two things are what I would I would really help. What I would suggest that would help somebody is because the university system was not meant for me. It was not meant for people like me, um, a first generation Latina woman. And it is sometimes a, uh, as they say, a dog eat dog world out there. And so making sure that your mentors help you navigate these systems and create changes to these systems as you go through your, through your time in academia is essential, not just for yourself, but the ones that follow you. Um, and so I think that those things are really important for um, up and coming scholars to really keep in mind as well, that the system can change and it takes a lot, um, but having your army, your support around you is going to help you get through it. So Mary, thank you so much for the last piece that you shared. 
um, I would like to add a final thing and um, with context and full respect of your experience, because that experience is your own and, um, and, and minoritized faculty and students cannot, you know, um, those from majority like me cannot understand the experience that you may have had. Let me rephrase your statement by saying universities were meant for you. They are not formally organized to support that ideal, but land-grant university in particular were designed around access. And we have to reconcile that vision with action through action of inclusion. Mm -hmm. And people like you with your cheerfulness, your ownership, your courage are making that image real every day. And I thank you for that courage. I thank you for speaking up. And I thank you for still giving your time to the students who are coming behind and being that role model that minority students need. So thank you. Thanks for that reframe. I think that's very, I think that um, shows it helps to ensure that we are always thinking about, um, as you said, that mission, the original mission of the land-grant university so that we don't forget it. So I appreciate that reframe for sure. And let's also remember that land-grants were not all created equal. So not until we have coalesced all the land-grants around the same mission for all access, we will have achieved what we need to achieve. So there's a lot of work. And I so appreciate that you're part of it. Thank, Thank you. you. The Faculty Stories Tell Me Your Why podcast is produced by The Ohio State University's Office of Faculty Affairs. For more information, visit us at faculty.osu.edu. I'm your host, Patrick Luschwein. Thanks for listening and join us again soon.